Adoniram Judson was a brilliant young man, uh, born in 1788, and he died in 1850. He attended Brown University, good Baptist beginning school there. His dad was a pastor, uh, but he was pretty much uh, a rebellious young man. He went on and finished at Brown, and then he began to uh, just travel all over uh, what was then small United States. And, you know, it's amazing. He got into trouble then, just like students get into trouble today. He and a buddy of his particularly were causing trouble, and they came to a hotel. And Adoniram did not know that his friend was staying at the same hotel that night, but he heard a young man groaning and just in agony, and he could tell that guy is really ill. He is really sick. Come to find out the next morning, his very good friend that he did not know was staying in the same hotel died, suddenly died. And it changed Adonai Judson forever. He repented of his sins. He gave his life to the Lord. He enrolled in seminary. He married a young lady named Anne, and they were the very first missionaries to ever be appointed from the United States. You're talking about a change. Isn't it amazing how God can change a person? And so he goes to uh, Myanmar, which then was known as Burma. And Adoniram and they had three children. All three of them died overseas. Adoniram was accused of being a, a British spy, and so he was put into prison, and he was tortured for 20 months. And his wife, Anne, cared for him and looked after him, and in the process of doing that, she died. He remarried. That lady died. He married a third time, and she also died from the harsh treatment of living in a country like Burma. In six years of serving God and preaching the Word and, and just pouring out his heart and soul, giving his family, in six years... There was one convert to Christianity. One. In nine years, there were 18. Now, I don't know about you, but I know me. I would have said, that's enough. I've, I've given enough. I'm going back home. But Adonai Judson did not do that. Even after incarcerated for 20 months, finally they let him out, and he decided to stay. Oh, I'm so glad he stayed. Because over the next few years, there were three, five years, there were 355 people baptized. And then, after he died, in 16 years, there were 100 churches and 8,000 believers in that country. You know, when we pray and when we persevere, God can do amazing things. I've seen it so many times in my life, and I've seen it especially in ecclesiology. I've seen it in the churches that I've pastored. People give up too quick. They get to a certain point, and then they say, well, I've just had enough. I just think I'll go where the grass is greener on the other side. And what they did not realize is that they were on the precipice. They were on the very verge of a breakthrough, and they quit just shy of their marriage, just shy of their children. Just shy of their job, they were about to break through. They didn't realize it. And in their church, they gave up right on the breakthrough that God was about to give them. I want to share with you a message that God has really burdened my heart today. And the title of the message is Persevering Through Prayer or Persistent Prayer. 
This is the message on the eve of our global impact celebration. And I really hope that Wednesday night, at least, you will come at 7 o'clock and be here as we begin, as we kick off just a series of great meetings and missionaries, 25 missionaries from all over the world. We're going to have an awesome time together. I am so excited, and I know, I just know, I trust that you're going to make an effort and make a plan to be here. You're going to persist, uh, if you will. Somebody said, whenever God begins to do a work, He always starts His people a-praying. That's not the greatest grammar, but I want to give it to you again. Whenever God begins an awesome work, He always starts His people a-praying. Well, God is just he has burdened me over these last few weeks and months to pray harder than I have ever prayed in my life and in my ministry. And, and I was a reluctant soul. I did not want to do this prayer and this extended fasting thing. And I, and I just battled with God. I said, God, I like to eat too much. I don't want to do this. Have, y'all ever, have you ever argued with God and just say, God, listen, I know what's best. I'm not going to do that. And finally, you just give up and say, God, you win. And by the way, just let him win. He's going to win anyhow, so just give up. You said, why do you pray and fast for days? For you. You said, no, wait a minute. You do that for me? Absolutely. If you're a member of Great Hills Baptist Church, you're an honored and a prized person. At least you are in my eyes, and I sacrifice, and I give, and I pray, pray, pray for your prosperity that God would prosper you spiritually, God would prosper you mentally, God would prosper your marriage, God would prosper your finances, and that God Almighty would bless and prosper these, these great people here, you, Great Hills Baptist Church. And I said, God, I see it now. And so I'm praying, I'm travailing in prayer. I am casting my soul before God on your behalf. I don't understand it all, but I do know that right when we're on this breakthrough, on the, on the verge, God masses his people. He begins with me. I really believe that as your under-shepherd, he begins to really... And, and I'm watching this. We have a noonday prayer meeting now at Great Hills. We have women's prayer groups everywhere. We have this accentuation, this... I, I mean, this, this real boldness that I'm watching is God is instilling Great Hills Baptist Church because here's what I believe. I believe when God is about to do something awesome, he starts his people a-praying. And so if you are feeling this urge to really pray and to pray for Great Hills Baptist Church like you've never prayed before, that's probably God impressing you because he wants to do an awesome work right here, right now with us. I stood up, you can in my hands. Oh, I got to breathe. Hold on. Just breathe. Calm down. So today's sermon, I'm going to, it's going to be different. I'm, I'm just, it's going to be a homily. I don't know if you know what a homily is. It's not that nasty food that you don't like to eat. It's not that. A homily is where the pastor takes the text, he just walks you through the text. There are no points. There is no point one, point two, point three, the rhetorical outline. And by the way, I love that too. That helps me just kind of follow a sequence and so we're just going to kind of walk through the text together. We're going to engage in the text today. It's a narrative. It's a story text. 
And so I'm going to read a verse, and I'm going to stop, and we're just going to talk about it, and we're going to walk through the text together. Then when we're done, I want to share with you four truths that God has put on my heart that I want to share these with you. And I really hope these bless you. I hope they encourage you. I hope that, I hope that I've heard from God this week and, and praying and seeking his face for you so that I could preach this sermon to, to you. Our text today is what you would call a parable. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly or a spiritual or a moral meaning where what is true in one realm correspondingly is true in another realm. And by the way, Jesus loved to preach in parables. He told a lot of stories, a lot of analogies, similes, metaphors, illustrations, if you will. You say, well, why did he do that? Why did the greatest preacher who ever lived tell a lot of stories? Because he knows humanity. And I, I can get up here and I can just wax eloquent on theology and I can look out there and you're all like this. And then I'll say, well, I was traveling um, down, uh, down 183 the other day, and, you, and I'm, it's amazing. Here's what you do. You go, what? What would you say about 183? There's something powerful about a story. And so Jesus is going to craft the story, and he's going to pull us along, and he's going to get us. He's going to draw us in. You know, the people who listened to Jesus said, man, we like listening to him. Two reasons I really believe. Number one, he lived what he preached. Okay? It gave him authority. The scribes and the Pharisees said one thing, and then they had this duplicitous, hypocritical behavior, and they did another thing. And people are smart. They, they sniffed that out. They said, it don't smell good. There's an inconsistency. You're not concomitant in what you're saying and what you are doing. But that Jesus, he, he says it and he lives it. And I'm so, I'm so enamored by that. The number two reason why I believe they heard him because he just spoke in a way they could understand. He spoke in a language that they could understand and relate to. So here we go. The title of the sermon is Persistence and Prayer or Persisting Through Prayer. And verse 1 goes like this. Then Jesus spoke a parable unto them. And he, he did this so that men always ought to pray and not uh, lose heart. It's interesting. We'll just leave the text up there. Jesus, he, before he tells the parable, it's almost like Luke gives us the answer to the parable. And this is not always the case, but Luke, he, he just does not want us to miss this. He says, now listen, what you're about to hear is going to be illustrated by a story about a wicked judge and a wonderful widow. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you the punchline. Here's what Jesus wants you to get. Don't miss this. He wants you to pray all the time and never, never, never give up. Does anybody need to hear that today? Is there anybody here today that needed to be admonished and encouraged to pray, pray, pray? And never, ever give up. Prayer is the main arsenal that we have against the temptation to quit. I would argue that if we give up too soon, it's because we quit praying. But if we prevail and we are persistent and we make it to the other side, it is because we prayed. And we sought the heart of God, the face of God, even when the heavens were like brass. 
Even when we felt like our prayers went up and they came straight back down, we didn't stop, we didn't quit. We just kept trusting God, kept pleading with God, kept pouring out our hearts to God because we know that He does indeed hear us and in His time He will answer us. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray all the time. (laughs) Pray without ceasing. Jesus uses this, or Luke uses this word in verse 1 where it says, Men always ought. Ought is a powerful word in the Greek New Testament. It is the word D-E-I. It's the word that Jesus used in John 3 when he said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. It is a message of constraint and obligation. Men always, we ought to pray and not lose heart. Ekakeo is an interesting Greek word. Ekakeo means true not lose heart, but listen to these definitions. We are not to be discouraged, exhausted, weary, and listen to this one. And we are not to be utterly spiritless. We are not to go that way. And boy, it's hard for me to preach this because a lot of times I go that way. I get discouraged, I get spiritless. And there always is a correlation. You you ever notice this? You cannot worry and lose heart and simultaneously pray and trust God. That's a good word. Let me me just say amen to somebody here. Amen. Brother, that's a good word. You, You keep preaching that, all right? Say it one more time so we make sure we get it. Okay, I will. You cannot worry and fear and simultaneously pray and trust God. I know. I know that's a fact from my own life. So Luke says, here it is. Here's the crux of the matter. Jesus is about to tell you a story. And as you listen to the story, remember these two things. Pray, pray, pray. Don't give up praying. And don't lose heart. So here he goes, verse 2. And Jesus said, "There There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. So the Lord's going to tell us a story about a wicked judge. And it's it's interesting, as, as he is described, he is a judge in a certain city, and he violates the two most foundational and fundamental commandments in the law. Remember Jesus said in Matthew 22, 37 through 40, it goes something like this. Love the Lord your God. Thank you, Brother Terry, for singing that song this morning. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor, help me, as yourself. This judge didn't do either one. Read it carefully again. There was a judge who did not love the Lord his God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Didn't even fear God. Didn't even revere God. And he did not regard man. He did not love his neighbor as himself. So Jesus has already created this caricature, already created this judge, and we already don't like him. And we shouldn't. He is the antagonist of the story. Okay? But now he's about to introduce the protagonist of the story, and that would be this, um, this widow. Here we go. Verse 3. Isn't this fun? Isn't this, isn't this cool? We're just preaching the Bible. We're just going verse by verse through the Word of God. And in the meantime, in the process, we're going to learn something. I love this. Now, there was a widow. A widow in that city. She came to him and she said, Get justice for me. Avenge me from my adversaries. Now, Luke has more to say about widows than anybody. 
a widow automatically had the connotation in the mind of the, of the hearer, somebody who was poor, helpless, and oppressed. A widow back then was absolutely at the mercy of anybody who would help her. There was not social programs. There was not this, uh, this really this, this, this concern and compassion for widows. They didn't have Judy Stones back then who loved widows and cared for them. And so when you were a widow, you were at the mercy of anybody who would help you. So, so look at this juxtaposition. You have, on the one hand, this powerful judge, educated, educated, erudite, powerful judge who didn't care for God, didn't care for anybody. And then on the lower end of the spectrum, you had this poor, helpless widow, and she approaches this mighty, awesome judge, and she says, Sir, I beg you, please help me. I've been mistreated. I have been violated. And I have nobody to defend me. Would, would you help me? Please, would you help me? One writer that I read this week encapsulates, he summarizes this one scenario this way. Quote, The story is a reminder that there is hope, even in that extreme situation sketched in the parable. If the petitioner will only continue to persist in her prayer. But underline this, there is much deep teaching here of which perhaps the most important item is that it insists upon the urgent necessity for us all to continue, continue in prayer, never fainting in this exercise, though no answer seems to come, end of quote. Okay, so you get the picture. Poor, helpless widow. Judge, please, 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 help. Would you please help me and vindicate me, exonerate me? Would you come to my aid? You're a righteous judge. This is what you're supposed to do. I've clearly been violated, so will you help me? Look at verse 4. And he would not help her. He would not help her, watch this, for a while. But afterward, he said within himself, Though I do not fear God, nor do I regard man, yet because this woman is wearing me out, I'm going to avenge her lest by her continual coming she just wearies me. You're disliking this judge more and more, and, and you should, because that's what Jesus wants you to do. He doesn't want you to honor this judge who is very wicked, but he wants you to have compassion on this widow who is very persistent. Isn't it interesting in verse 4 that Jesus tells it again that he does not love God, he does not respect his fellow man. And by the way, have you ever noticed that? When our vertical relationship with God is truncated and twisted and out of balance and contorted, have you ever noticed that it affects the horizontal? It affects the way we treat one another. Have you ever noticed that? If somebody doesn't know God and honor God and fear God and walk with God, he, he's, he doesn't have a chance of living like he should because our vertical dimension relationship with Jesus, with God, always impacts, whether adversely or whether positively, the way we impact and relate to one another. Verse 5, the judge answers her. He says, I'm telling you why I'm going to answer her. This woman's wearing me out. She's badgering me. She's bothering me. She's bugging me. All right. All right. Okay, woman, leave me alone. I'll do what you ask me to do. And so he dies. She kept praying. Or she kept petitioning, excuse me, she kept pleading. And finally, the judge 
he intervenes. Now look at verse 6. Then the Lord said, <laughs> watch what he does. He said, now hear what the unjust judge said. He said, and in what he did, and shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? Really, verse 7 is, is the crux of it. Crying out day and night, continually coming, persistently she did with this wicked judge who did not love God, did not love his fellow man. And if that unrighteous, unjust judge, out of ulterior, no, not good motives, not altruistic motives, but very selfish motives, if he as a carnal man will finally have mercy upon this poor widow, how much more will a heavenly father who really does love us, who is perfect and pure and pristine and honest and awesome, how much more will he answer you and will he answer me if we will only continue and plead with him? That's the message. That's what he wants you to get. That's what Jesus is doing. He's wanting you to say, did you get that? And I love Luke. He's, he says, in case you didn't get it, he's telling you, keep praying. Don't stop. Because if an unrighteous judge will finally come around and do right, how much more will an awesome God who loves you, how much more will he not exonerate you? How much more will he not vindicate you? How much more will he not avenge you of your enemies? That really is the crux of what is going on here. Then verse 8. Excuse me. Yeah, verse 8. I tell you. Now, it's all important, but when Jesus says, verily, verily, or if he prefaces it with, hey, listen to me carefully, I'm telling you something. I tell you that God will avenge them, the elect, the chosen, speedily. And then the Lord gives a little eschatological end times twist to his parable. Jesus is just amazing, by the way. He teaches us, and he's so deep. I mean, there's so many layers to what he says. Listen to what he says. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Verse 8, I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. What does that mean? Well, what Jesus is saying, here's my interpretation of the, of the parable. God will vindicate you. God will come through. He will save the day. It may not happen until he comes again, <laughs> but he will win. He will vindicate. He will judge righteously. And Jesus puts this little statement in there, and though he bears long. Have you ever noticed that? Sometimes God bears long. God says no. God says wait. And you're like, oh, but now, please, please, please. And, and, and Jesus is saying, hold on, I hear you, but I have, a, I have a reason why I'm bearing long. Here's the reason why. God is so kind. God is so just. He allows us to be persecuted and hated in a, in a sinful world. But as we are persecuted and hating, being hated, 
God has given the lost world one more chance. He's given them one more chance. Because I'm telling you guys, listen to me carefully. When the sun comes, it's over. When the Son of God comes and he establishes his kingdom here on this earth, there's going to be a mighty judgment. And all of those who know God and who love him, we will enter into his kingdom and we will be blessed forever. But those who said no and those who hated God and hated us, they will perish. And so it could be that God delays answering us until he's coming because out of goodness of his heart, he has given your lost friends and your lost neighbors and my lost friends one more chance before it is eternally too late. It's interesting, Jesus says, will the Son of Man find... In the, in the Greek, it has the definite article before pistis, before faith. So a good translation is, will, when Jesus comes, will he really find the faith? Now remember, the whole story is built on two pillars. And they both start with a P. And so let me give you a quiz. One of the pillars, one of the main points of this parable starts with a P. And what is it? Prayer. Amen. Amen. Prayer. And number two P is perseverance. Oh, look, 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 look. Don't miss this. There is a connection. There's a connection in verse 1 and verse 8. That prayer and persistence is the faith that Jesus is looking for when he comes. that good? So when he comes, will we be praying? Will we be consistent? Or will we be in some compromising position when the Son of Man comes? I tell you, one of the reasons it keeps my nose clean, because I don't want to be doing something and Jesus comes. That's going to mess some of you up. I'm sorry. Because some of you are going to be tempted to do that. And you say, well, if I do that, what if Jesus comes and he catches me in a compromising position? I'll be embarrassed. And so Jesus says, I'm coming. Hold on. Be faithful and persevere and keep praying for the Son of Man is coming. Don't give up. Don't quit praying. That's the story. That's the parable. So let me just kind of walk you through. It'll take me just a couple of minutes. And I've written out four for you. Four for you. Okay? Are you ready? Here are the four are. Number one, pray. Pray consistently and pray fervently. That's the message. Keep praying consistently and fervently. When you're tempted to quit, say, what's the use? What, what, is, what a good is prayer anyhow? Let, let me give you a little story. I read this somewhere, and I thought this was really powerful. Let me try to communicate it to you. When, when you pray, what happens? Do you change God? Do you move God? Well, what, what happens? Uh, for example, you're in a boat, and you're close to the shore. You really need to get to the shore because you've got to get your boat to the shore. And you're tired, but you have enough energy to take the anchor and you may take a buddy with you, and you toss that anchor over the side of the boat, it lands on the shore, and it connects to the shore. You with me? And you start doing this. And you're pulling that boat. Come on, guys, help me. You're pulling that boat, and finally you reach to the shore, and you get out on solid ground. Let me ask you a question. 
did the shore move or did the boat move? <laughs> the boat moved. You see, when we pray, it's not like we're going, okay, God, come on over here, God. No, no, no. When we pray, it's like God says, now you come on over to me. Prayer does change things. Prayer changes us. Keep praying. Keep being fervent. Keep being consistent. Because God is watching and God will vindicate. God will change us. Okay, number two. Let me give you the second point of application. Do not lose heart and never give up. Don't lose heart and don't give up. Good things, ooh, I got a good word for you. I don't have many original words. Let me give this to you, okay? I've got it yellow, underlined, read, read, read. So let me read it. Good things come to those who wait, but great things come to those who persevere with Christ. Good things come to those who wait, but great things come to those who persevere with Christ. Winston Churchill in 1941 in this famous speech at Harold's school where he was himself a student. In 1941, he's the prime minister of England. They've already been in battle since 39. We didn't join in until about this time, 41. But Winston Churchill goes to Harold's school, and he is speaking to those group of students. You're familiar with this. Remember what he says? Never give in. Never, 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 never. In nothing, great or small large or petty. Never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to force. Never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. Wow, that's powerful. He knew a little bit about perseverance. He saw the Germans come and and just obliterate and bomb London and, and, and the rest of England. But he tells these young students, be positive, keep believing, don't give up. By the way, the, the rest of the, the speech is not that long. I thought it was at Oxford, and it was really long, but that's not true. It was literally at Harrow, H-A-R-R-O-W, and it was very brief. This is what he said. Very different is the mood today. Britain, other nations thought, has a sponge across her slate. But instead, our country stood in the gap. There was no flinching and no thought of giving in. And by what seemed almost a miracle to those outside these islands, though we ourselves never doubted it, we now find ourselves in a position where I say that we can be sure that we have only to persevere to conquer. Only to persevere and we will conquer. By the way, this is not written in 45. This is written in 41. <laughs> he closes by saying, Don't speak to me of darker days. Let us speak rather of sterner days. These are not dark days. These are great days. The greatest days our country has ever lived. And we must all thank God that we have been allowed, each one of us, according to our own stations, to play a part in making these days memorable in the history of our race. Wow. End of quote. Never give up. Never give in. 
in the face of the enemy. You stand your ground. You keep praying. You keep persevering. The cloud of witnesses of heaven above are admonishing us and cheering us on. And there's coming a day. Almighty God wins. He just flat out wins. And if you know him, guess what? You get to win also. All right, number, number, number three, another point. Ooh, this is the one I couldn't wait to tell you. Y'all ready for this? Yeah, sure we are. Pastor, tell us. Okay, I will. Divine delays do not mean divine indifference. Divine delays never mean he's indifferent. That's really one of the main points of the story. Even in his delays... He has a purpose, and the purpose is compassion and redemption for those that don't know him. I heard a sermon not long ago. It kind of messed me up. I'm still, I'm still getting over it in a good way. I heard a pastor in Arkansas preach one time. He says, please, don't be offended by God. <laughs> Did y'all hear me? Don't be offended by God. Jesus, in fact, said these words in Matthew eleven six: Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. We are so easily offended, aren't we? Well, God, I prayed for this healing. And, and God, I prayed for my church. And I, I prayed for this marriage. And, and God, you just must not care. Because if you cared, you'd do something. Why didn't you do something? You just don't care. Don't be offended by God. I'm going to say it one more time. Listen, somebody needs to hear this. Don't be offended by the divine. He does care. If he didn't care, he never would have sent his son. He does care. Sometimes he makes us suffer. He makes us wait because he has a bigger plan and a bigger purpose. Don't be offended. We have unrealistic expectations. Our expectations are so huge. And if the marriage just doesn't do exactly what we think we do, we get mad and we leave. If the church doesn't do and look and say and smell like we want to, we get mad and we leave. If our boss just looks at us the wrong way, then I quit and I leave. Quit being so offended. We don't always get our way. God wins. God will vindicate. God will exonerate. God will come through. Don't be offended. Trust in Him. Just because He delays you does not mean He's angry with you. <sighs> oh. Number four, and I'm done. Jesus is alive. He's coming again. Get ready. <laughs> Get ready. Be ready. Jesus indeed is coming again, and when he comes, may he find Great Hills Baptist Church with much faith, with much prayer, with much perseverance. Joseph Screven was 25 years of age, and if anybody had a right to get mad at God, I think it was him. He was 25 years of age. He, he and his, his uh, fiance the day before they were going to get married. Now, can you imagine? On the day before you're going to get married... Woo, he's pumped. He's like, I'm marrying the love of my life. It's awesome. They went to the lake. They were just going to go to the lake. They were going to go swim. She went in. She never came out. She went in and she drowned. She died. He couldn't find her. He was frantic. 
And then people come to help him, and they pulled her limp, lifeless body, and they were holding her body. And Joseph screamed, just dropped to his knees. He said, oh, God, what has happened? He was so hurt. He left Ireland. He lived in Dublin, Ireland. And he said, Mom, I love you, and I know we're really close, but i got to get out of here. And he left. He went to Canada for a brief stay, and then he made his, own, his way into America. Ten years later, that same mom wrote him a note, and she said, Son, I am so discouraged. My heart is so broken. I wish I could at least see you or, or at least hear from you. And so he sat down, and he wrote her a poem. He wrote the poem, he sealed it up, and he sent it to his mom. His mom got it, and she read it, and it just blessed her heart. I mean, really encouraged her. A friend came along and said, that is an awesome poem. The friend had it published, and it became a very popular song in Ireland, but nobody knew, nobody knew that Joseph had written the song. He falls in love again in America. He has a fiance, and she dies of tuberculosis. People are watching Joseph Scriven, and they're going, I bet you curse him. I bet you curse him. He said, I can't curse him. I just have to serve him. So he started preaching. He started going ministering to widows. He, he would literally chop wood for widows. He would feed people. He would give people his food, and, and he would minister to people. And they, and they described Joseph Screven. And it was a little eerie. It said he was short, had gray hair, and blue eyes. And I was like, that's, that's interesting. He's short, had gray hair, and, and blue eyes. And then he got sick. He's about to die. And a friend comes and he sees the manuscript of this world-famous song. And a friend says, do you know about this song or this, these words? Did you, did you write these words? And Joseph Scriven, listen to these words. He said, the Lord and I did between us no bitterness no animosity. You say, what is the song, Brother Danny? Are you going to sing it? I can't sing. I'm crying too much. can't even sing it. But I know you're going to recognize it. I don't know who you are, but I know today is the day God has you here. And he's going to change your life. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. Oh, because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And listen to the second stanza. Have we trials and temptations? He could say, I know, I've had trials and temptations. The love of my life died. And then my other fiance, she died. And now here I am, sick, about to die. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? 
son. We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful? Who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Prayer and perseverance are two foundational pillars upon which we as Christians build our lives. We lift up our eyes because the King is coming again. I'd ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me because I really believe that the Spirit of God has spoken to somebody here today and He has revealed unto you His great love for you. You have doubted His love. You have been embittered toward Him. And God has broken through that hard granite shell of yours. And He has softened your heart today. Aren't you glad that He did? Aren't you glad today that God did not give up on you? And that God now is drawing you back into relationship with Him. Let me tell you something, church family, with your heads bowed and with your eyes closed, the God of Adoniram Judson, the God that saved England, and the God of Joseph Scriven is still alive. He works in mysterious ways. Oh, I cannot understand him. I will never completely understand him because he's just so much smarter and holier than me. But this much I know, if you do not give up, you will see the glory of God. You will see your prayers answered. All God asks you to do is never, 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 no, never quit or give up. If you're here today and you would say, I need the Lord. I know I need Him. I have a veil of unbelief and bitterness and I need God to change my heart today, then listen to me, friend. Listen to me carefully. Somebody got baptized today. They sang about baptism on the, on the video, and, and that's a beautiful picture of what needs to happen to you. You need to go down deep with Jesus, have him forgive you, cleanse you of your sins so he can raise you up a new person. Would you surrender your heart to him today? Would you? How about now? How about right this moment? Say, dear God, I am a sinner. I'm so sorry. Forgive me. Come into my life. I surrender my life to you. In a few moments, we're going to stand to our feet, and we're going to have pastors and ministers here at this altar. And if you've prayed this prayer today, and you want to, man, you want to start over, you want to give your life to the Lord, listen, we, that's why we're here. We're going to pray with you. We're going to encourage you. But now let me segue finally to those of you who are offended. You're angry at God. I'm about to say something that I, it's just beyond what I've lived. But I want to say it anyhow. No matter what your pain, no matter what your hurt, He's still God. He still loves you. I have not experienced cancer like you. I have not had a loved one like a, like a child die like you. Please don't be offended. Trust in the Lord. 
He really knows. He really cares. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that as we stand to our feet in a moment, that you would draw us to a deep relationship with you. Lord, for some, that means for the very first time they'll enter into faith and they'll be saved and they will become a part of your kingdom. And for many others, Lord, it will mean a, a, a refreshing, a commitment of their life, a deepening of their faith that they will be able to say, come what may, I'm going to pray, I'm going to trust God, I'm going to persevere until the very end. So, Lord, we pray that you'd have your perfect will and way in this church at this time, right now, for we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me, please? God bless you as you stand. Many of you will want to come. You'll let us pray for you. Let us encourage you. Terry's going to lead us. Come on now. God bless you as you come.